Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hey there, hi there, ho there, fancy listeners. Welcome to the Filmborn from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies. And on this show, we're going to shatter your expectations about the new film from M. Night Shyamalan. First name, Mr. Movie name, Glass. Elijah has changed over the years. He's given up. We keep him heavily sedated. But there is a reason for that. He's too smart for them. You won't be lonely anymore. You have two new friends. The three of you think you have extraordinary gifts, like something out of a comic book. I've developed an effective treatment for this disorder. The light will force a different identity to take over. Por favor, senora. I want my headphones back. Step away from the controls now, little doctor. Can't beat the beast! So you're not going to shake my hand and let me walk out of here? (laughs) Good for you.
It's in the realm of Unbreakable and kind of like a sequel to Split and kind of like something different altogether. And I'm so excited to talk about it here on the Webby Waves with you. Let's start by introducing our hosts. And guys, today, after whatever clever nonsense you've prepared after your name, I, I want you to tell me what trait or hobby is so overdeveloped in you, so clearly masterful, that it borders on superhuman power. Like at one point, you thought you might be undeniably special beyond explanation about it. Uh, how about it, Steve Sarmento? Hondo and away! <laughs> That's kind of like a superpower. <laughs> superpower, I... Oh my gosh. Uh, alphabetizing the books in my library? I don't yeah. Know. I, I, I continually reorganize, and I guess it's the, the superpower of... No, that's just compulsion. It's, it, it, it's not <laughs> it a superpower. I'm really good at... It can't be. Everybody can alphabetize just like I can. I've just more efficient at it i guess you're, you're like uh john go. cusack in in uh, being john malkovich when he's filing yes exactly. we're gonna get into that is it compulsion <laughs> or is it superhuman i think that's that's good to talk about what do you what do you got tommy handsome you guys this is the collection of main characters <laughs> right. uh i uh let's see i can sense about eight minutes before i get a headache <laughs> Is that, oh. Does that work? All right. I can just tell oh, yeah. that, a headache, that a headache's right around the corner. And, that's, and do you treat it or do you just acknowledge it to the world? I just call it a day. <laughs> I go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about you, Andy Nelson? What's your superpower? Uh, you know, that's a, I have no idea, but I will say uh, I can put on a pillowcase like nobody's business. That's good. So there you go. Uh, super oh, useful. We need the pillow. We need Ooh, more the pillowcaser. We need a pillowcase squad for that. <laughs> my name is JJ, and my comically super ability is overthinking trivia questions and karaoke choices. So we make a nice, strange gang of thugs <laughs> here today. If you like us here and what you hear here, then definitely go check out all the details about this show and the Next Reel's extended family of podcasts at thenextreel.com. There you should join our open and accepting group of film fanatics. And let us know what your non sequitur superness might be. Seriously, come hang out. We're fun. I am super interested to see how you all feel about this film. Let's gather everyone's initial thoughts, starting with Andy. I was uh, I was excited that uh, with Split that all of a sudden I at the end of that when you realize oh this is actually all of the same universe and the fact that it was now going to become a trilogy really piqued my curiosity. I was a little hesitant going into this because I'd been hearing a lot of negative reviews and negative thoughts. And and I was like, oh, sounds like Shyamalan kind of uh, did it again. <laughs> it, but, but in the end, I came out of it going, okay, it was sloppy. It wasn't perfect. Uh, it had plenty of issues, but I still ended up kind of enjoying it. And I think by the time I got to the end, I'm like, okay, I can see why people have problems, but I still had fun. Cool, cool. And I, I think we want to delve into the, what problems people are finding about it, too. And I think that uh, based on Tommy's first mention that maybe we'll hear some of what those specific problems are. Tommy, what did you think? I really enjoyed it for a long time. And then this was new for me. I don't know if a movie has ever failed to stick the landing so hard, in my opinion, that it almost torched so much of the movie that had come before it. There's so much buildup. There's so much expectation put on the third act, and I thought it was, to use Andy's words, so sloppy, so chintzy looking, so poorly thought out, uh, and so self-serious that it ended up really hurting the movie overall for me. That's interesting, and I think people think that about Shyamalan, right? I mean, I think that's kind of a little bit of his M.O. Would you agree about that? Yeah, he's known as the twist ending guy, and I'm actually a big fan of his endings. I am yeah. I'm sort of an apologist for as far as those are concerned, but this one <laughs> just got insane. Well, I want to hear what's insanity and what's not for you as we go forward, too. Uh, yeah. Steve, what were your uh, takes on the movie? I I got on board the train, and I rode that train, and I got off the train, and I enjoyed the trip that I was on. I, you know, I, I think I walked in cautious of you know the bad buzz that was out there but uh i don't know i really connect with his films with shaman even the ones that people don't like okay there's the one with the trees and all of that and we can just set that aside but most of his other films i find a way and i don't know if i just connect with a guy that's trying to 
really earnestly say something in his movies rather than focusing necessarily always on story. And so I, I'm along for the ride to say this is, there's a point to what he's telling me and I'm going to ride along with him and get to the end and see if I agree with him or embrace this idea or concept that he's saying. So that's the way I always approach his films. What's his big idea? What's he trying to communicate? And I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I'm interested to hear what your your quibbles are and what issues you have, but I just sat back and went along for the ride and enjoyed it and knew it wasn't going to take me in expected places, and I always enjoy that. Uh, people have, you know, in reviews I've been seeing, they talk about there were multiple, you know, twists or things going on. I don't. I just set aside the twist stuff and say I can't anticipate anything because I never know where he's going. I will enjoy him leading me along the path and see where we go together, and I. You know, thoroughly enjoyed this one. Well, that's kind of cool. And I think you bring up the the idea about Shyamalan as a movie maker really looking to say something that's greater than or uh, that is on top of the story. And I will say that for me in this movie, conceptually, the concept that he was trying to relate that was that was sort of brought to us through the story, I really, really liked. And I think that for me, I, I have a couple little quibbles and stuff too, and they definitely show up in that third act, which both uh, Andy and, and Tommy talked about here. Um, that that statement that he was trying to make, the sort of the sort of overall concept that this story is about is telling is really hits home with me in a very personal way. And so I ended up really, really liking this movie. Like it was, it was something that was really special to me. And I made tons of apologies for all of that sloppiness. Uh, because I was so along for the ride in, in the concept stage. So uh, we can get into that a little bit, too, as we go forward. Um, but, you know, I think we we maybe want to save the quibbles for as we kind of get through the story here because of the fact that most of it happens when we're trying to after the twist or as we twist into that third act. I'm not exactly sure how to talk about this movie because of the way this universe has been formed. Do we talk about this as a trilogy? Um, I've seen it, you know, mostly talking about it as a sequel to split but it's part of the unbreakable universe how did you guys see it forming up as a a third movie is it a finale what is it Shyamalan really i mean he said he's gonna make it a trilogy so i think it's it's absolutely fair to call it a trilogy it just i don't think i think it was hidden as a sequel with split that it was a sequel to unbreakable but absolutely i think now he's made this uh, I guess he's just calling it the Unbreakable Trilogy. I don't know if I've heard a name okay. for it, but it's the uh, the East Rail One Seven Seven Trilogy. Oh. Named Are you after serious? The train. Yes. Wow, well, that rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's what I've I've seen it referred to as well versus the Unbreakable. That it's the East Rail because of the that is the common thread through each of the was that oh, that's characters. the train was that in the second movie oh, the, at train. All? Yeah, it's the train oh it's not in the se- that's the thing is it's not in the second movie but we see how the events of that train yeah, okay. connect in this third one to all three of the characters so i yeah <laughs> I, I i mean it seems like it's a, a, a long jump or a long reach for us to yeah. all know what he's talking about but i like it I guess, you know, a lot of the question comes up is that there's not really a finale to anything anymore, because especially with the way that this movie came to be, the first movie was in 2000, right? And we're seeing here this this third part of the Easter Ale trilogy in 2019. Is this an end or are we going to do more? That definitely leaves the door open. And if if they're looking to create more with this universe, there's definitely more ground to cover here. Well, he certainly sets up a, a story that becomes bigger uh, as you um, as you meet Sarah Paulson and her organization, and you realize that there's this group out there. So now, certainly, there's an opportunity to do more stories within it. I don't feel I don't know. It's it's hard to gauge with with Shyamalan, you know what he's what he's up to. I feel like he could continue, but I also feel like this was kind of the the way that he saw it going, and I I don't know if he's planned on future stories i feel like he could end it here but if this ends up being a financial success um and a big surprise like split was i mean with with jason bloom behind it who knows Uh, the two of them could kind of pull something together and decide to kind of continue stories in this universe i don't think it's necessary but i i don't see it as an impossible idea i i agree with andy on that i i think I would hope that it's done as far as films. We have so many other 
avenues for storytelling that I could see this easily becoming a you know Netflix series. However, to me, I think we've touched on this you know type of film. There's there's already a lot out there like this. It, it reminds uh, reminds me of things like going back in the early 2000s, like the TV show Heroes, where you've got ordinary people discovering they've got superpowers, and we've got uh, you know we've got Runaways on Hulu, and there's there's a lot that are already touching on this type of story. So I don't know how they would create this in a way that would find its own footing in, I think, an already crowded space. For me, it, it's it's a nice wraparound to the beginning. I don't know if you guys remember the marketing around Unbreakable back in 2000. There was a website that was called Are You Unbreakable? And what it was is they, they weren't touching on superheroes at all. It was just people in extreme situations exhibiting, you know, unique survival ability to survive. And there was a little quiz you could take. And it was this whole idea of like somebody had created a website to collect stories of people that, you know, oh, this guy, you know, lifted a car off his wife and oh, this person survived this burning building. And it was this whole idea of, you know, there's unique people out there and the, you know, glass sort of comes back around to that as we see that you know after philadelphia you know sarah paulson's going to possibly go to these other cities where there are more and more people showing up with these unique abilities i don't know that it's as as i said i don't know that there's enough you know unique aspects to that unless it's going to focus on her organization to really give a series the opportunity to to stand out yeah, I think, uh, you know, you compare it to Heroes, I think, uh, and I really like the first season of Heroes, everything that happened after that felt like it was rushed. And I think that, uh, you know, if we want to talk about what the difference might be in this really crowded market, and I think that's a really good point, Steve, is that um, Shyamalan has demonstrated that he has patience <laughs> in that mm. in what he's done yes. with this movie. Um, and potentially the patience and the, if we consider that the concept for Glass was originally a part of what when they released Unbreakable they were trying to do, which, you know, with the website that you described leads us to possibly believe that. It shows that that's something different about what this this idea is and can be. And it can morph a little bit. Um, at least that's how it feels, right? I mean, from 2000 to 2019, it, potentially if the thought was there, but then now you have a 19-year-old son of David Dunn, who was the same son that was in the original movie. So they couldn't have planned it that far in advance, right? No, I mean, one of the things that we're, I don't think we're forgetting, but I mean, M. Night Shyamalan was put into movie jail. Right. This isn't like this grand plan, I don't think. I think this is opportunistic timing. He made, he clawed his way back with the visit, and then he put this at the end of an, uh, Split, which was great, and I loved that uh, revelation. But I don't think that there's been this fantastic sort of overarching thing. And I think he lucked out that, you know, Spencer Treat Clark is still like a really good actor and grew up right. And everybody. So <laughs> right. I, think, I think everything just sort of like fell yeah. into line once Split became a surprise hit. I guess, I, I guess that's my point, though. Right. So he endured movie jail. He was was fortunate that all of a sudden we have this sort of rise of comic book movies that now uh, points directly to what he was hoping for this original concept with Unbreakable. All these positive things came up, but he still had this uh, bank of ideas based on this original trilogy idea that he could draw from. And while it morphs with uh, with Joseph Dunn a little bit, he's fortunate that that uh, did you say Spencer Treat Clark? Is that his name? Spencer Treat Clark is is all those things. It also works. And so I guess that's mm -hmm. that's the point that I'm trying to make is that I think that he has exhibited patience in what he's doing with his ideas in a way that might give this legs where something like Heroes I don't know how you guys feel about heroes, but once it got to the second season, I couldn't deal with it anymore because it would it it jumped the shark in a way that made everything crazy for me. Um, and it's because the first season was so good and everybody jumped on, so they wanted to do something exciting and crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I'm really impressed with the way this trilogy wrapped up, um, and I like the movie, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. We talk about what we learned uh, with Sarah Paulson when we finally get the big twist at the end that she's not what we think she is. I've seen people talk about that there's three major Shyamalan twists in Glass. That's one. That's a pretty clear one. 
Did, were there other twists that you guys noticed? Was it was there a particular twist that stuck out to you in this movie? Another one was uh, Mr. Glass releasing the footage that the whole thing was sort of a play he was putting on in order to because if people watch footage of superheroes, they become superheroes. <laughs> I didn't quite understand how any of that worked. But yeah, I think the, the then the third one might be the uh, this backstory behind uh, Clarence Wendell Crumb. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. That's a good one. The struggles I had with um, with the film actually begin with Sarah Paulson and her character. And that's okay. that's something that I uh, I mean, it was it was a nice twist. I actually enjoyed that. It, it it made it it made my issues with her less so uh, when I when the reveal happened as to who she was. But it still wasn't perfect. It still really made the the whole beginning, the whole film, really, once he's once um, uh, done and uh crumb are caught and they're put into the little facility and then she came in i i just really struggled with that whole idea because i just i had a hard time like believing like how does she know so much about these guys like why does she know so much about these guys there was no logic to this reality of of what she was doing and even later i'm like well how did she ever figure out who david dunn was it never really made sense to me and and just the way that that character was written i I really struggled with this this angle i thought it was a really interesting angle to take a group that is trying to kind of push any possible superheroes out of existence so as to avoid you know kind of the marvel world i guess you know you don't want to all of a sudden go into that but i i i i don't know i just really struggled with that aspect of it um even though i i i think there were a lot of elements that worked but i i think it was that was one of the things that i thought was just a little sloppy i completely agree with andy and it's one of those things that for me on paper looking at it from across the room, it's like, oh, that's an interesting idea. But what I was so distracted by so much in this movie is the sloppiness and how nothing really made sense or worked. The amount of funding that they have, the amount of information that they have, the fact that we've never heard anything about Clover Wrist. I think they're called the Clover Wrists. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) They are now. uh, That um, the fact that they're they're housing superheroes and they know they're housing superheroes, even though they're pretending not to. And yet there's one guard on duty <laughs> at all times. Uh, right. It was just so it, there was too much to look past and I couldn't keep meeting the movie more than halfway in order to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and those things, I mean, the, the reality or the logic behind what they apply to the situation is difficult. I think the idea, I mean, it's difficult to reconcile is what I mean by that. I don't think it is reconcilable that there's one guard on duty or that they put these ordinary humans who have no knowledge of the clover wrist people uh, in, in charge of, or tending to these superhumans that the, the logic behind that doesn't work unless it's as part of the story, which is why that's here. I think <laughs> also if you're going to, if you're going to have a secret meeting, don't have it in a restaurant and wait for the civilians to leave. <laughs> just, just rent out like a hotel ballroom or something. <laughs> right. Just, a, just a very little quibble, but just a side note. Well, that, that kind of stuff. And they, they do that for dramatic effect. I get that. But the other thing that I thought about them is like that they're like Templars, right? I mean, it's the secret society that's existed for, for so long to keep the balance of 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 power in the universe it's the illuminati it's this thing it's it's this concept that's out in the world that people think about but don't have any uh that don't have any connection to right now so i think that's what he's kind of playing to with this story again your quibbles are totally appropriate i just it didn't bother me nearly as much yeah the quibbles that i kind of brought up that came up for me were when you get into the real sort of meta things about comic books and how they approach the story. Tommy, you mentioned this in your initial in your initial thoughts about, oh, it's a gathering of the main characters. Um, it, it, how did that stuff hit you? Uh, one time that I really disliked was when uh, Glass's mom in the when they gather the three sub main characters to come and rescue them. They're in the in Paulson's office and she conceptually figures out that, oh, wait, this is the super limited edition showdown. Um, <laughs> so clunky. <laughs> yeah. Just to tell us in the audience that that kind of stuff was bothersome. But again, it, it was Shyamalan really just trying to find ways to tell us his idea for his vehicle of the story. How did that comic book stuff hit you? 
that was all pretty rough. It was um, I, I appreciated that it was in there. I got his point that he was trying to make. But um, weirdly, I just felt felt like I mean, I, I there have been Shyamalan films that I felt like he's done a great job with the writing and stuff. But but as I go back and revisit them, I find his dialogue with his characters can be just really on the nose. And really kind of one of the most frustrating points that I struggle through with them. Um, I, I felt that definitely with some of the recent rewatches I've done. And right out of the gate, I mean, it was happening all over the place with this. I think that's interesting information to put out there. But I just felt like he wasn't doing it very well. To me, it's it's consistent with what he did in Unbreakable, though. For that's the way Elijah looks at the world uh there's a scene in unbreakable i think when when david and his son are in elijah's you know art gallery and elijah's mother is there and she's talking about one of the pieces artwork and she's like well this is you know how i how i understand her this is how elijah talks about these things so she's really familiar with that vocabulary of how he deconstructs comic books and the the parallels that he sees in his life so for me it was very much in tune with her character from what we'd seen in unbreakable elijah is a you know if we perceive him as a delusional figure who thinks he's in a comic book he's going to talk about ordinary events using this comic book terminology of oh this is the you know this this, the showdown this is that's how he talks about the world so it made sense for me that that's how his mother would talk about things so it it, i agree i I I don't think i don't uh, and me bringing it up is not to say that i don't think she would say something like that i just think that writing it into the dialogue to make sure she tells us as the audience what's happening felt really clunky and and kind of inappropriate it wasn't necessary um it felt like it, it felt like Shyamalan wasn't confident enough in us knowing what was happening that he needed to label it and he needed a character to label it. So again, I think you're right. He picked the appropriate character to label it, but it wasn't necessary. There, there was a lot of that comic book meta stuff that wasn't necessary because, we, I, again, for me, I was already along for the ride. I didn't need those extra pieces of dialogue that just felt like, remember, we're doing a metaphor for comic books here. Well, I, again, it's to me, it's consistent with, you know, we didn't have the character of Elijah in Split, so we've sort of missed that. But, you know, again, you if you go back to watch Unbreakable, a lot of the conversations that David and Elijah have are those things. You know, he's like, this is the point where now we, we shake hands. That's the big reveal at the end of Unbreakable, where we see that Elijah and he talks to David about you know, his place in the world. And have you ever thought about these things this way? And Elijah always speaks in these terms. So I think it's because we didn't have that in glass. We've got to, we've got to jump over that uh, because we haven't seen Elijah and his, his vernacular for talking about the world. So it was very meta back then and unbreakable, but I think the, you know, 19 years later, we have people that are more fluent in, you know, the the tropes of comic book movies. Back in 2000, we didn't have comic book movies or of, of this type. And what I, I really enjoy about what Shyamalan's doing with this is, and I think it's the appropriate timing, when you have, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe going on, you know, it's it's sort of the mainstream popular thing. And I think of, you know, comic books in the 90s where you had, you know, you still had Marvel and DC, but you had sort of the underground independent taking a different look at things. And to me, this is sort of the underground independent comic version of the superhero story. And they can, you know, sort of speak about, you know, the and comment on the mainstream version of that because they're outside of that. And that's that's how I sort of for lack of a better word, I'll say justify or accept what he's doing, because to me, I just see the consistency in his sort of running parallel to the mainstream comic book and and commenting on that. And I don't disagree with that. I think that that's a valid point, certainly. Um, But I felt like in Unbreakable, the level of that type of conversation um, worked in context of the movie. In this one, I felt like it was uh, way more. Like, I felt like that type of conversation was happening all the time. They were always pointing out something to tie into comic books. And I feel like the world of our understanding of comic books has changed so much that now in 2019, where, you know, you have comic book movies coming out almost every month, I'm just like, do we need to have this much exposition about the world of comic books? When I feel like, our society's evolved to a place where we don't need it pointed out 
constantly because I, I think that it was not just Elijah, but like everybody was talking about it. The guy in the comic shop, the the, the customer in the comic shop, like uh, everybody is is talking about it. And it just it, it hit a point <laughs> for me where I'm like, oh, my God, I don't need any more uh, anyone else to point out to me how this connects to the world of comic books. I think that's right. I, and I, I, I mean, the the extension of this is the thing that I, I think is really interesting when they use comic books and the comic book world as the maybe true reporting of specialness in the world, the kind of way that Men in Black did about tabloids. Right. I, I actually liked that piece of it to say that what we're doing in this sort of comic book trope is explaining away all of those things that, Steve, you mentioned from the Unbreakable website. We've we've created this sort of uh, place where we can talk about what's superhuman about being human. And I think that was really great. It, it leads me to the place at the end where there seemed to be a lot of climaxes and denouements in the third act. But after one of the climaxes, we have Sarah Paulson reading up on comic books in a comic book store. And she hears kind of offhandedly a, a conversation talking about how the mastermind always has a plan. And as she's reading, you know, we don't really know what she's doing. I guess she's maybe researching her next city that she goes to to try to stamp out the, the superhero uh, group or whatever. And she hears this and that's where she discovers or really considers the fact that maybe Elijah had something else planned. Um, I like that concept that that comic books could be something that's an, a, a super real reporting of what's actually going on. Um, but then I didn't need her scream for absolutely no reason when I had no drama about what was going on with her character <laughs> in, the, in the hallway. But so uh, that sort of thing, did you feel like that was what was happening with this? Did you like that comic book sort of measure for real life? It's not, it's not fiction. It's somewhat super real news. Well, that's something I have enjoyed about this series is that it's it's not necessarily like, you know, people flying through the sky bitten by radioactive spiders or anything like that. But it's just there's sure. something that's just heightened in you. And I, I think that's actually a really interesting aspect. And that's something that I really appreciate with what they've been doing here in these films. Um, I, I honestly felt like considering the film is called glass i i feel like i would have liked even a little more of his plotting and planning we certainly get some of it but mostly it involves him sneaking out of his room and and you know playing on the computers so i, I didn't feel like i i got enough of him and his side of you know I, I felt like as as the master villain there could have been something interesting i do appreciate that we didn't end up in the top of that tower like they were talking about i'm like oh okay yes. this is the big thing we're gonna go there i liked that it it they moved away from that but i still was like gosh i really would have loved to see some um, great glass masterminding and sure he does it with the end and the 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 leaking the information and all that but i just like i wish there was more yeah, it's tough to to saddle, especially because it's called glass. And because he wants to set up a surprise, uh, he saddles his main villain with seeming uh, catatonic for like two thirds of the movie. That's, right. <laughs> I mean, it, that's rough. I mean, there's a lot of in order to make the reveals work, he had to make a lot of uh, sacrifices that I think hurt the movie. Uh, that that's one of them. Another one is I know I'm all I'm doing is harping on the third act, but to have that weird battle where no one really shows up and it's unclear, but to have the police that never come, the police never really two, come Two cops, yeah. two police cars. come. That's it. <laughs> Cause that's how that works. And there's clover wrists yeah. and stuff, but also framing it during the day, seeing David Dunn in his outfit during the day, I thought was so poorly, but he needed it to be during the day because M. Night Shyamalan needed the reveal of this whole thing as a play to be able to put footage. So sure, it's tough. I mean, I again, it's one of those things, one of the many things that seems like a good idea on paper, but actually an execution for me was just way too sloppy and hurt the overall uh, movie. That's when we're talking about Shyamalan and who he is as a movie maker. I think he has great ideas and sometimes they're executed well. And I think whether you like a Shyamalan movie because of its ideas or because of its execution might really give you a sense of whether you like what he does as a movie maker altogether. Um, I think all of us, I, I think 
it, it might be interesting to go around. What What is your favorite Shyamalan movie? Mine would still be Sixth Sense. I think that that is, I just rewatched that and Signs um, uh, with my daughter, uh, her first time watching those. I, I think that the Sixth Sense is still a really strong film and still really holds up, even if I do have some issues uh, more so now with some of the dialogue. But I just think it's such a smart film and and so clever. Um, signs I always had loved and this recent rewatch, it ended up hitting me more with a lot more of the issues that a lot of other people have. I, I found more issues with it, but, uh, but I still enjoy that. But I mean, Sixth Sense is still, uh, for me, his top. And in both those cases, you liked the ideas and the execution, right? Uh, less so signs this go around. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. How about, how about you, Tommy? It's yours. Uh, unbreakable. Oh, see, that's, see, that's one of my things of maybe why <laughs> I might be recovering from disappointment oh, sure. in this movie. And that's why I'm oh. being a real bitch about it is just because <laughs> I was really looking forward to this. I was really, really looking forward to this. And it, it, when it didn't do what I wanted it to do, I get angry. <laughs> sure. Steve, do you have a favorite Shyamalan movie? Yeah, and it's it's ones that I think tie to parenting. And for me, Signs is is right up is is up there at the top. And then, you know, I think our family it's our our guilty pleasure is the village. And I think there's there's so many things that that you know about parenting and the stories that we tell to protect our kids that just so to me works on so many levels and is really powerful and really resonates with us uh, yeah because they're they're both about parenting you know i think uh to a large extent and that's something that's just really struck me at, at different points in my life uh with my kids so i think for me it's unbreakable as well and i think that for me i think the reason why i liked this movie so much is because the ideas again i i have trouble with some of the execution as well but the ideas that uh, sort of wrap up this trilogy, whether or not it goes on or not. Uh, the ideas that are here are, are a lot different than I expected them to be. And in again, they, they touch me in very personal ways, something that connects with kind of what you're talking about, Steve, in those parenting pieces. This is something that 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 uh, it's going to sound very cliche, but I really needed this movie right now. And it's like, wow, OK, I'll, uh, uh, I'll buy into that. So even with these kind of uh, chintzy execution points. Uh, I'm taking all of it, and including some of the real flowery and potentially unnecessary language and dialogue that's there. Um, I really liked it. So, um, so I think that's well, a good and that's, go. and that's what I think is so interesting about this film, because I had all these issues with it. Um, but I still at the end of it, I'm like, I still kind of had fun with it. I, I didn't hate it. Like, you know, I've had some films that we've talked about on this on this show before where I have these same issues and I'm like, it, it ruins the film for me. But this Why one's interesting. Critics are hanging, are hitting it so hard because of those issues. Yeah, I think they are. I, I, I mean, I, I haven't, I honestly haven't looked at many critics. I've only just kind of looked at the overall kind of the review or just the kind of the, the main lines and stuff. But I think that it's just, it does feel a lot clunkier. And when you have something that's as, as sharp and clean as Split was, because Split was, a, I think, a good film, even without it being part of this trilogy. I, I think that this one, um, it just, it fell into, I think, a lot of traps of, trying to find a way to uh, to shoehorn in uh, wrapping everything up in all three films and trying to make a bigger statement uh, about superheroes and comic book movies and co- the comic book world. Um, and I, I think that uh, it just there, it really seemed to as he worked on it, just uh, it made it easier for a lot of his struggles with telling a good story to come through in a way that I don't think necessarily helped. But uh, I, I think that's that would be my guess as to what people have as the main issue. Well, you guys have talked about before. There's like a, a metric that we should use when we see the Rotten Tomatoes scores on things about whether what that means <laughs> exactly. Right now, the numbers on Rotten Tomatoes sit at at 35 percent uh, for Rotten Tomatoes, which feels low to me. And then the audience score is 78 percent. So I feel like that is actually speaking to your experience, Andy. Right. It's like, yes, I have these problems with it, but I also kind of like it. Yeah, I, I think that is kind of that that uh, split there, if you will. Uh, uh, <laughs> we will. Uh, and I mean, but also to be fair, I mean, Pete's always bringing up the IMDb uh, six star rule and it's a 7.2. So I think and that's that's usually okay. fans who are, are putting that in there. So I think it is something that people may have issues with. But I mean, I saw it in a jam packed theater and sure. uh, and people really seemed to be getting into it. I mean, there were some like 
moments where I had a lot of audience reaction. And so I, I think that makes for, a, it makes for a fun audience experience, I think. And even if there are going to be issues, I, I, this is one of those films that I wouldn't be surprised. Critics are going to hate it, but audiences, this is when audiences watch a movie and probably judge critics for being too picky. Like this is this type of movie. And to its credit, I mean, I'm the biggest naysayer so far about this. I do want to see it again. Not in the theater necessarily, but I so much of it was shot so beautifully. I love his a lot of his when he's not swinging for big effects. I think that's when M. Night Shyamalan is at his weakest. Uh, he doesn't seem to know how to handle uh, effects. It, it, he I think we talked about this at Split when what's his name started climbing the wall. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's the same yeah. thing in Sign when you the first time you see Signs when you first see the alien walk by and then they replay it again. He doesn't know when things should be hidden in the shadows. He's so yeah. good at just basic, yeah. like filming conversations and stuff. It's just so beautiful. Like uh, every shot is like an event. And then when it comes to the big swing part, that's when he's he's not at his best. But I do want to see it again. Well, the cinematographer on this is Mike Giolakis, is I think how you say his name. And I think he worked on Split as well, which I think is interesting. Um, one of the things that uh, you mentioned how beautiful it's shot, I loved the framing throughout the movie. There was a lot of center justified framing on it that made for one of the things that I loved so much about Unbreakable is that they're constantly shooting through frames and glass and, and these panels. kind of things that panels right. that make it look like a comic. Uh, the first shot of this movie is, you know, you have talks and all this stuff, but then you see, uh, is it Patricia? It's one of James McAvoy's personalities peer through a hallway, through a small pane of glass as he's going to walk in and then see the girls, that kind of stuff I love. And they did that to great effect in this movie. And then there was a, the way that they filmed conversations was innovative and really cool in this movie. At one point, you have Joseph Dunn across from Sarah Paulson. And they're having the conversation about his dad, about uh, what did they call him? The overseer? What a weird name for a superhero. Regardless. So, but they, they, <laughs> it's, not the weirdest, it's better than tippy toe, man. It's not the weirdest it's of superheroes. It's not tippy toe, man. <laughs> you're right. You're yes. right. <laughs> Whatever called him the tiptoe, man. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is that? But so they, they have the standard two shots in coverage because they've got over the shoulders with them and everything. But then they, but for part of the conversation, you're focused on Sarah Paulson and then the camera pans in the conversation going back and forth between the two uh, speakers. And I love that stuff, yeah. especially for the mood of what was happening, the heaviness, the the sort of, uh, it's, they're not really lies, but the, 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 the fibs that his son is telling to try and get him out of superhero jail, you know, and then all the heaviness of this conversation taught with this quick, this, this sort of panning back and forth. I mean, it was innovative and it, and it kept me in the movie in an artful way. There were lots of shots that I thought were just really beautiful uh, in the way that they, they made this movie work. When they are first all uh, imprisoned, I guess you could say, and she's doing her initial interviews with them, how the interview, how the editing is cutting from one interview to the next so seamlessly, yeah. like where she's asking a question in a conversation with Dunn, but then all of a sudden it's it's Kevin Wendell Crumb answering, and then all of a sudden you're in that conversation, oh, and that the way that the editing moved, it was so fluid and so perfect. I'm like, oh, this is when Shyamalan is at his best. Like that just got me so excited watching that. Yep. And and I and okay, so I mentioned that Giolakis was a cinematographer on Split. He also uh, is uh, in the upcoming Us. Jordan Peele movie. Uh, he's the cinematographer for that. And what's listed, we've talked about this maybe transitioning to a TV thing. He is, has shot, it looks like five episodes, uh, nine total episodes for an untitled M. Night Shyamalan project uh, TV series. Uh, so that's pretty interesting to think about maybe what's happening here or whatever M. Night Shyamalan is doing. Um, I'm excited to see more of this kind of work. Do you guys notice the color? Because that's associated with each of the the characters throughout. Because as soon yeah, as, soon as they we get into sort of that Pepto abysmal pink room uh, with David in green and Kevin in yellow and Elijah in his purple, but if you if you pay attention to the to the end when we've got their for lack of a better term family members in the train station, and you've got David's son who's in mm -hmm. his. He's in his green, in green. from, yep. you know, from his uh, uniform for work or whatever. Elijah's mom is wearing purple. And then uh, oh, Casey. Wait, Casey is wearing a, a, a shirt, like a floral print that has a lot of yellow in it. And I thought it was really nice to see that visually thematic 
color palette weave its way through to, to the associations of the their sort of partner characters and as that carried out what i am curious about seeing going back is if pink is gonna be a, is carries through because i didn't see a lot of pink in here so i didn't know why the use for that room color in that big interview panel with all three of them if it's connected with sarah paulson's character well, she was wearing pink, pink in that with her in that room yes right but it, does it carry throughout? Does she always have mm. some pink with her? So I was looking to see how strongly it's associated with her or if it's just right. that scene. Because, yeah, I did notice she's got some pink. So, uh, you know, that to me, that's, you know, as you've pointed out, Shyamalan makes some inter- – he has great storytelling ability visually. Uh, going back to the interview scenes as well, what really stood out to me is as Kevin, you know, depending on which character or personality is taken over during that interview, there's a lot of times where he was allowed to, like, walk out of frame as he's pacing back and forth. So our camera wasn't following him. Mm-hmm. It's like fixed lockdown and, you know, allowing your main character to walk out of frame. Uh, yeah. I don't see that a lot in, in, in movies. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Uh, it, it brought me back to when he first gets into his room and he's eyeballing the camera to see what, where he can and can't be seen as he steps out of frame and then, you know, gives us all <laughs> his the little, what? Yep, exactly. I, I loved all that stuff. Visually, I thought it was fantastic. And uh, I think it's actually a good transition for us to start talking about performances. Top build on this movie is James McAvoy with Kevin and Patricia and the Beast and Dennis and all these things. I, I, I don't know that there's any reason we could say that there's any flaw in what he did. He was stellar in this movie. I, I said it when we watched Split that his performance was so good. I thought he... Uh, easily would have should have gotten an oscar nomination because it's yeah. just so so fascinating to watch him switch from character to character i would say the same here i think he was great um just uh, you know maybe not so much when he's in a wire rig running across the lawn but otherwise uh, i thought he was just fantastic in the part his neck veins make me nervous <laughs> 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 they were a character under themselves <laughs> Yeah, I think I was a mild James McAvoy fan before these movies. I mean, I I liked him, but I didn't understand. He was I wasn't a huge fan. Now I think I want to see anything he does because what because anything could happen. I think this was such a great choice for him for his career, and I mean for him to get top billing in this movie, he deserves it. He he had the amount of heavy lifting he does as twenty four different characters is just it's it's almost impossible to understand it, it he does such a great job I, he's he's awesome yeah we we saw a, and i think we saw many more characters than we saw in split yeah, due to yeah, the, so. the the hip the hip the the lights or whatever that we're going to cause him to cycle through so because i don't remember recall the the spanish-speaking you know nope. personality and there, there were a lot more in there i i you know, it was hard for me to keep track as well as I did in Split because I think it's, uh, is it Dennis that has the glasses in Split? So, you know, we didn't have the, the different oh, sure. uh, outfits, you sure. know, so sometimes a little bit harder for me to track when he would switch between Dennis and Kevin or, you know, the, the vocal distinction wasn't always as clear as between, you know, when you've got Patricia and Hedwig and, you know, the Beast. They're very strong, you know, voices with those. But some of the others, it was hard for me to track necessarily because we didn't have all the the costuming to go with it that, that represented those characters. But it was amazing to, again, see him transition, you know, right there on camera quickly from one to the other, just effortlessly. Amazing. You transition from that character that had to do a lot of huge swings to someone who needs to underact throughout the entire movie, Bruce Willis. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice having him come back as this character. I, I thought it was uh, a, a nice natural stepping stone to go from where we were to where we are now and have him and his son running a security company. I just loved that. And having uh, Spencer Treat Clark back as his son, um, it, it made for a great pairing. I, I really liked it. It was almost like the superhero and his boy wonder um, working together in their bad mm. cave. I, I had such a great time I, I like that. watching the pairing with them. And I thought Bruce did a great job. I, I thought uh, he it was a nice uh, continuation of the character. I, I think he did it really well. I just, it, there wasn't a whole lot of, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of shifting or splitting that Bruce no. had to do in his role. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and uh, I'm trying to remember timeline. As I recall, f- I think the events of this movie take place, is it just three weeks after Split takes place? 
Was it that? That seems fast. Because there was there was something about uh, like sixteen years later. They say at some point, right? No, between Split and Glass. No, no, no. No, no, From from when they talk about when Elijah was put in in the institution, they say that or the train wreck. It was like I thought they said it was sixteen years ago. Which would which would make right, you right? But I'm talking between so, but split you're saying, and glass. I, right. I, so I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying that it, okay. it would have to be yeah. right after that film. Right, because I think when uh, it, we're in the security office and he's tri- the, uh, Spencer Tree Clark is triangulating everything. I think he says this is where you know at the zoo three weeks ago those girls escaped, and then now there's the new one. So I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of for David Dunn's character, he's been sort of off the you know trying to figure out how long he's been doing his uh, security piece. How long has he been doing this sort of like being the overseer uh, piece? Cause it's, it's, I'm trying to get a sense of, we know what's been going on with Kevin. You know, we know Elijah has been in the hospital for, you know, all 16 of these years trying to track the trajectory of, of David's, uh, you know, character arc, because we know he lost his wife. What, like five, was it five years ago or something like that? So is that when he started the security business and, and teamed up with some, that's the one piece I I'm missing in sort of David's arc of after the events of unbreakable, what was his sort of path? We don't get a sense of over 16 years. What's he been doing? Um, you know, cause it seems like it's just recently the police have become focused on him. I can't imagine the police have been after the overseer for 16 years. So that's the one piece I wish I had a little bit more insight into what David's been going through over this time and how he's been dealing with, you know, this, you know, his, his abilities, whether it got pushed aside completely you know, how did the his, the death of his wife impact that? It's, again, Shyamalan's got so many, you know, ends to tie up in here. Uh, you know, I'm willing to let that one go. But as you know, I look at these characters and where they're going, that's the one piece I feel like we didn't didn't get enough of David done in this of him as a person. And I think that's, you know, Bruce Willis plays him understated. That's great. But I, I wish there was a little bit more to, to him, to his core that we, we got to understand. I agree. And I think uh, this looking at this as pulling this together as the finale for their stories as they all pass away. Uh, I think we would want to know more about it, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the sort of choice that they were trying to go with the uh, conceptually with the film altogether. Um, and then kind of sort of midway between Bruce Willis and all the crazy stuff that James McAvoy had to do, you've got Sam L. Jackson playing a very interesting catatonic uh role through the two thirds of the film. Uh, how did you feel about Sam <laughs> Jackson's performance? Troublesome. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he's got Green some really great. Yeah. He's got some really great moments. He's, he has to play catatonic, which is disappointing for most of the film when he does come to life with the throat slit. That was electrifying. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, that was incredible. Um, but then at the end, he's sitting in a parking lot, screaming exposition <laughs> to no one. <laughs> and so it's just, I mean, he's sort of all over the place for yeah. me. Well, and yeah. I don't fault him for that. I, I mean, no, I not think, at all. I think he's fine in the role. I think it's a it's a a role that he's taken to really well. But yeah, it's just unfortunate that, again, as I said, it's called Glass. I really wanted it to be, right. to be about like, Glass. Yeah, his big finale. And I just felt like uh, by the time we hit that point, I was like, uh, oh, well. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, that's Casey. Uh, I think coming out of Split, I really liked her. I thought she was very, very interesting. And I actually was happy with what she did here, too. I didn't expect her to take the emotional leaps that she did. And uh, almost every scene where she was interacting with Kevin or any of the parts of the Horde, um, I was in it emotionally with them. And I kind of attribute that to her being able to deliver compassion. I, I was really, I was moved by her performance. It was a very intriguing character, and I, I was kind of surprised that they they ended up going this route because I just I felt so much like it was this Stockholm syndrome sort of thing that she was was dealing with. But I liked that it was something that she was dealing with. Um, it was again, it was a little one of those clunky things. The fact that uh, that uh, Doctor Staple would bring her in and let her do all of this interacting with this this person. I, I was like, I don't know about this. She was against it. She was against it. She got yeah, but she does it. Somehow. She does it, and that's yeah, why I'm like, okay, right. well, I, I'm not. This is purely for the sake of the story, and I just I wasn't buying it. But um, but still, I, I agree with you. I think that she brings a lot uh, to the story, and 
uh, I weirdly, I was surprised that um, when I saw her in the trailer, I'm like, oh, interesting that she, they're bringing her back. And I, I guess in the end, I thought uh, I thought it worked. Yeah. Her connection with Kevin, uh, you know, we don't get an opportunity because Split is so much about her escape. But in the aftermath of that, of, you know, discovering, you know, Kevin was, you know, subject to abuse. And that was so much of the flashbacks that we see in Split. And then we get a little bit of what has happened to her since then. She's now with this foster family and all of these things, you know, so she's dealt with this, you know, it has this strong connection to Kevin. It was something that I feel like, you know, he's, he's leveraging that, that gap, uh, to, to create something that didn't exist in split to, to tease that out a little bit more because it's necessary for this one. But again, it, it worked for me when, you know, she's finally able to get, you know, in the end to, to get Kevin there for him to commit to being in the light that, you know, like life's, you know, worth living instead of hiding from it. And then, you know, we see that little red, you know, sniper dot show up. Uh, yeah, it was a really powerful moment for me. And I think, uh, Shyamalan was able to mold, you know, Casey a little bit more into what he needed for this film. Uh, it's still keeping her true to where she was in Split, but to me, there's there's a stronger disconnect there again, where she's clearly gone through some things. And we've got to have some dialogue and exposition to to give us that that I think may have affected some of the pacing. There's you know, there's so many pieces to put together. That's one that. I'll see on a you know second viewing how how I feel about it, but it's the one that I have issues with a little bit. I guess that's fair. One one of my favorite lines in the movie was uh, when Hedwig says, "What you like Kevin now?" I don't know. I, <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about Sarah Paulson already. I think um, her performance is interesting. I think because of she's her role, her identity is a major twist. Um, I'm I'm actually happy with. The both sides of that coin in this movie for her. I think she did right by what she was asked to do. Um, that being said, the under or the downplaying of the uh, Dr. Staple through the early parts of the movie felt really small to me. I would have liked more uh, to see more emotion from her, but I think it was uh, appropriate for what the character was going to do in the movie. How did you guys feel about Sarah Paulson? I, I like Sarah Paulson in general. I, I just feel like Again, it just goes to the the struggles I had with this this story structure in general and how how they framed it for her to be kind of this this uh, counselor. I, I I had a hard time with her almost through the entire film. There's a lot of explaining around her character. You know, we've got to there. It fit very well within the comic book genre for me. As soon as she introduces hypno lights, I'm like. Okay, those don't exist as far as I know. That's a comic book device. And then, you know, the fact that she's a specialist in these things and there's some science based fact that of, you know, the MRIs and what that's going to reveal about their brains. I'm, I'm buying into that story. Of course, we, you know, then learn that that's all just a ruse that her whole mission is to convince these superheroes that they are ordinary people uh, for, for the balance of power. And if they're just willing to accept their ordinary people and, and give these things up. So everything that she's spinning is, is all fiction. Uh, you know, is I I bought into it because I know I have to accept this as as grounded in reality as it is. This is a comic book story, so I'm going to have comic book you know character like her that's that's going to be doing these things that I you know I'm willing to accept as you know a trope within the the genre of you know who is she? Everything she says I have to take as truth because that's the only reality that I'm I'm given is she's you know, acquired the, this, this wing of this hospital for whatever reason, um, you know, lack of security or whatever. That's just, you know, this is Philadelphia, this, this hospital, that's what they've got. That's what she's got to work with because it's not a huge government funded project. It's she's doing this because of her thesis that she's, you know, studying these types of people. So I, I went with it. I, I didn't find it problematic. I just, you know, accept what I'm given as the reality until I have a reason to, to question it, you know, as we do at the end. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that's, that's where I saw, that's where I sat on it too. We have those other supporting characters, uh, Spencer Treat Clark as the son and also Charlene Woodard as the mom of Glass. Uh, anything important to say about that? I, I, I see Andy and I have been bantering back and forth about how terrible mom's makeup was uh, through the movie. Just awful looking. I mean, you know, it's it's tricky when you cast an actress who is actually younger than the actor playing her son. 
sure uh that automatically is going to make it more difficult but then you know from 2000 to now 19 years later the fact that she uh it's weird like neither of them look like they've aged in those 19 years <laughs> at all um, but they still can't make her look old and it's it was just no. it was rough man it was just rough Bad i news. mean she's fine in the part but it's just it, i hated looking at her <laughs> I even caught myself thinking a couple of times, maybe she's going to pull off the mask at some point. Uh, I mean, and, I, and oh, I'm not kidding. Like, I literally oh. thought there was going to be some twist that she was something else. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's just not do. It's just bad makeup. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, about so, Spencer uh, Tree Clark real quick. I think the, I don't know if I've seen it that much, but using a deleted scene from an earlier movie yeah. in order to comment on the current movie as he does from Unbreakable to this movie is pretty ingenious. I like Especially it. when yeah. I like you, that you have all the same actors and stuff. I thought that was great. I yes. bet a lot of yeah. people went, oh, it is the same kid. I did. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I went and looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. It's like a boy's life, but done in the way that a trilogy yeah. would be done. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved I loved seeing him pop up in here. I, I, thought, I thought it was a real treat. I thought he did a great job of bringing everything that he needed to to the part. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was a treat. It was a it was a Spencer treat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If we have uh, nothing else to say about this film, I think maybe it's time we should rank it. Flick John! <laughs> Let's do it! <laughs> <laughs> Check out the entire film board filmography ranked in one convenient place at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. When you get there, you can create a tournament style stack ranking of your own and see how your big screen favorites run alongside ours. So where do we start? Andy. First up, we have Glass or the Mummy. Glass. Oh, glass. Glass, definitely. Glass or Beirut? I will take Glass. 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 Beirut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, glass or Get Out? Get Out. Get Out. Get out. Yes. Uh, glass or The Martian? I'll take The Martian. Glass. Glass. Oh, The Martian with Matt Damon? Yeah. Oh, I, no, I'll take the Martian on that one. I'm a science nerd. Okay, so Tommy and Andy do some real shambo action. Okay. One, two, three. Rock. rock. Scissors. Scissors. <laughs> Paper. <Rock>. I did <laughs> it. Oh, glass wins. Glass Next. wins. Uh, glass or split. Split, please. Split, split, please. Yes, split. That lands glass at 14. Out of 77 on our chart. Much higher than I would have guessed. Yeah, yeah I, did it on, I did it on my own chart and ended up high again. And I mentioned that it was a really good movie for me. I'm putting it in my letterbox rankings at a four-star ranking. I was super, super happy with it. And uh, definitely a like. Where do you guys sit on those? Uh, this is Steve. I'm going to agree with you on four stars and a like. Uh, Tommy says two and a half and a like. Actually, cool. because talking about it, I don't know. It made it's made me more excited to see it again because I'm remembering how much I really did love about it until for me, it all went to hell. So <laughs> Crap, maybe man. if I just end it 20 minutes early, then I can yeah. be like, wee, four and a half stars. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the uh, same place you are, Tommy, two and a half and a like. Cool. Yeah. I don't understand math, but that puts us in a pretty nice place uh, with a like. <laughs> 3.25. Sounds good to me. Next month here on the film board, we are going to have some fun and do happy death day to you. Uh, that was a trailer that I saw coming before glass and made me really excited, even though it's kind of a scary movie, right? Uh, it just looks like fun. I'm excited to see it. Um, we're doing it. It opens on February 13th, a Wednesday. And so we'll be doing the film board that week. Where is the main show right now, Andy? What is what series are you guys working on right now? We uh, just wrapped up our uh, massive 1968 uh, celebration of uh, 50th anniversaries of films with uh, Romeo and Juliet. And we're kicking off. Uh, we're getting into some pugilism, jumping into the Rocky franchise. Yeah, that's very exciting. Going to fly now. That's uh, that's cool. Very good. <laughs> Excited to see that. And also, can you talk a little bit new for 2019? We are doing... The Marvel Movie Minute. Talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah, we started a new show, Marvel Movie Minute. Uh, you can jump onto that, and uh, we're we're going through the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. Um, we are, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we're two weeks into the show now, and uh, 
and uh, so so that means we're uh, ten minutes into the movie. So, <laughs> so and that we're of course Iron Man is is where we're starting with John Favreau's two thousand eight film. So it's a fun way to look at a movie. It's very uh, it's a deep dive into all the nerdy details that uh, come out of any given minute of a movie, and it's been a lot of fun and can't wait to see where it's going to go from here when we have i i would assume we have a lot of marvel fans that listen to the show we've done a lot of marvel shows here on the film board and uh i think it's a really fun concept for the ways to uh, look at what's actually being in those movies so uh, it's been a great show i've enjoyed listening to it and i don't think we talked about it earlier but everyone listening to this show should also come join us over on discord you can get details about it at thenextreel.com we gather with fun film folks about a half an hour before every film board show to chat a bit about what we get out of our monthly movie there's a bunch of interesting bulletin board like channels over there where we post stuff about all of our shows and other remarkable things all over the world of movies so let's connect there and keep the conversation going for this one Say goodnight, Andy Nelson. See you later. Talk to you soon, Tommy Handsome. Goodbye, folks. And one more word from Steve Sarmento. Hundo. That's the one at the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 